and think about it, what He has done for us and what He'll continue to do for us. And uh, when we sing songs such as that, it really puts things into perspective of, of what the Lord's done for us and what He will do for us and what He's doing even when we don't even realize it. When maybe things are not like you want them to be. When things are not running on all cylinders, if you will. When you're faced with problems and you're in the midst of dark times and dark days. And, but the beauty of it all, the beauty of it all, much of what we're going to discuss tonight is that His love is amazing grace. He, we love Him because He first loved us. And that, that's the only way that we can love is for, because the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. We don't know how to love. We think we do. But love is more than an emotion. Love is an action. And what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us, what God the Father did in sending the only begotten Son to die on that cross for us, was the greatest example. Jesus Christ said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so when we stop and we think as to what he has done for us, how he did it, and really and truly, if he went to that length to die for us, to love us, to, to reconcile his creation back unto himself, imagine what he's going to do next. Imagine what he can do in your life tonight. Imagine what he's willing to do in your life every single day of the year. If the creator of all things is willing to step off the the realm of eternity, take off the robes of royalty and be wrapped in flesh and swaddling clothes and live a sinless life for 33 and a half years, all to end, to finish sin, the consequence thereof. We're going to get back into our series tonight. We're going to go to the book of James, and James is only going to be a springboard verse I want you to log these verses into your heart and into your mind as we were going to be from here, then we're going to go to John, uh, John chapter 14, one of my all-time favorite chapters, and we'll bounce around just a wee bit here, but our, our central text, this is a two-part sermon to finish off the series of the Pure Series, and we're coming from James chapter 5 tonight, just as a springboard, just to set something inside your heart that I believe will make a difference for you here this evening. It's already made a difference in my life and putting it together. But in James chapter 5 and in verse 7, the Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the, the, the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We live in a world today, guys, where we are waiting on that precious day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return in the air, when uh, what the Lord has spoken about, about Him coming and, and ascending in the air to call His bride home. And yet James here, by, by way of inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, compares us as a church, calling us brethren, be, be patient therefore brethren, saved, born-again individuals, Unto the coming of the Lord. And he uses a farmer. He uses a man who has a crop known as a husbandman as an example. And what happens in the midst of that crop, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen uh, in a week's time or a month's time. But the earth has four full seasons to develop what needs to grow and be harvested in that harvest time. And 
There's a winter season, which is supposed there. It's there for the reason to kill off the bugs and kill off the pests and kill off things that are there, things that were last season. And then there's the spring season. That's the time we plant. That is the time when that earth, when the plow goes through that earth, and all it does, the only thing the plow does is, listen carefully, it turns over the earth. That's all it does. Believe it or not, I, I, I'm going I'm to sound super old here in just a moment. I learned everything that I needed to learn about a plow and the backside of a mule from my granddad. Now, we had tractors, okay? Whatever reason, we was in the, we was in the garden in that farm with a single-blade plow and nailed a mule. My granddaddy said, it was, it's not mule, it's mew. The hell's silent. I'm just listening to my granddad. And he'd say, Billy, I'm going to take this plow and I'm going to stick it right here. Then I'm going to say G and ha, and that means left, turn, right, go, whatever, uh, with that, uh, that mule. And it's going to dig down into that earth. And he said, the only thing that it's going to do is it's going to take that ground that's looking at you now, it's going to turn it over. And I said, okie dokie, fine, that sounds good to me. And he said, Billy, you know, when you're plowing, and you got those reins in your hand, and you're controlling that mule, and you got that plow in your hands. He goes, you never take your hands off the plow, and you never look back behind you. Now, as a kid, you want to, when I say kid, guys, I'm a little bitty kid. But as a kid, you know, you're wanting to make sure you're doing things right. He says, you'll never know if you're doing things right by looking behind you. He said, if you look behind you, you're not fit to push that plow, which of course, I learned later on is Bible first, not fit for the kingdom of God. What I want you to understand tonight, that James is using the long process of a crop, the turning over of the dirt, the turning over of the earth, as we do as believers tonight, that if we're going to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and born again, we must turn our life over unto him. In the Old Testament, we'll read where it says to break up the fallow ground. That word fallow means, it doesn't mean uh, a ground that's never been touched. It just hasn't been plowed in a long time. Turn it over. After that, you come through, a, you come through that garden with a disc, and what that disc does is it breaks up that dirt, softens it. And then you come through and you cut your rows, you plant your seeds. Then you get rid of your pest. And then you, 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 you nurture it and you watch over it. And you do this for months and months and months and months until the harvest time. And what James is saying here, he said, the husbandman waiteth. That's that farmer. He waiteth for what? The precious fruit of the earth. He waits for that harvest time to come around. He waits for that fruit to grow. He's waiting for it. And he has long patience for it because he understands there's a lot of work in the foreground, in the forefront. There's a lot of work that goes into it to make that fruit that's going to come one day. He says he has long patience until he received the early. That's a sign of God's blessing. That's that rain that comes in the springtime and, and it begins to nurture and give the nutrients under those seeds. and They begin to take root and all this stuff's going underground and you never see anything on top. And then the latter rains. It goes through the summertime when that scorching heat is beating it, but those nutrients are down at the bottom of the earth, and they're taking root and taking root, and they're feeding and feeding and feeding. And then all of a sudden, after the sun has done its job, that latter rain of God's blessing comes. 
boy, it soaks it up, and it seemingly almost grows overnight. James is using that as a comparison. Just as the farmer must have long patience until he receives the early and the rain, he says, be ye also patient. It's establish your hearts. If we're going to establish our hearts, and establish something means to lock it down. To establish something means to lock and load it. To establish something means to, to, to get it strengthened, to lock it and put it into a place where it needs to be. In order to do that, you're going to have to be patient. And what are we waiting on? Just as that farmer is waiting on something, we're waiting on the coming of the Lord. And James says, it draweth nigh. We live in a world today, guys, that it requires a lot of patience. We live in a world today that we're waiting for that harvest time. We are waiting for that precious fruit. We are waiting for all of those rains and all of those blessings and all that nutrients that is filling that ground. We're waiting for that harvest time. And that's when the Lord comes back in the air. What does that farmer do? What does that farmer do in the midst of that long time of patience? Well, he performs a pure work. He performs a pure work. And I submit to you this thought this evening that we as a body of believers are to perform on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ while we're waiting for that precious fruit, the pure work of his believers. So we go from here and setting this foundation, this, this understanding that we must be patient and waiting for Christ to come back, that we must be patient for that precious fruit uh, to make a difference. We must be patient in waiting upon the Lord. But being patient doesn't mean we're sedentary. Being patient doesn't mean that we put, hit the pause button. The Lord Jesus Christ says, occupy till I come. And so the Lord Jesus Christ gave us some things. In John chapter 14, which is by, in all fairness, one of the greatest chapters in all of the Word of God, he says in verse 4 through 7, he says, And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, If ye have known me, ye should have known the Father. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen me. Now he's talking to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to these men and these ladies that was in the midst that had been walking around with him all these years. And he's getting ready to prepare their hearts. He's getting ready to prepare. What he's doing in their hearts is he's running that plow and turning those hearts over. What he's doing is he's getting ready to diss those hearts. He's getting ready to soften that ground. He's getting ready to plant those seeds. He's getting ready to give that early rain so the harvest will come one day. And he's preparing them for what's going to happen. The ones he is speaking to, he says, listen, you know the way. And now I'm going to ask you this question tonight. That have you ever just sat around in the car at the office in the gym, whatever, at home, laying in bed at night. Have you ever just sat around and thought about the way that we're speaking of tonight? What had to transpire for you and I to know that way that Jesus Christ is speaking about? 
Have you ever thought about it? Easter's coming up next month. I know that on the, uh, the last weekend of the month. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the sermons that are going to be preached. I'm excited about Passion One. I, I'm lo- I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to it. But I just wonder, do we highlight that one weekend to think about what happened on the cross? Do we highlight that one, that one week to, to speak about what great things Jesus has done? And, or do we think about it at times about the way that he's speaking of here to his disciples? Beloved, it was Jesus Christ who was sent to this earth by way of mankind, his creation that was placed here for his fellowship, for them to learn the way unto eternal life. And yeah, there is only one way. Let me make it very clear tonight. There is one way unto the Father. Just like there is one way for seeds to be planted and nurtured, there's one way to see the fruit thereof. There's one way for a crop to... Listen, there is one way for that fruit to be seen. Any gospel which adds uh, uh, anything to being saved by grace through faith, guys, and through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a false gospel, plain and simple. You ain't adding anything to it. You're not taking anything away. It is simple enough, but it was a great work that that our Savior uh, performed. That is the way. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man come to the Father but by me. And he didn't put an asterisk there and said, you know, for the next 2,000 years, just fill in the blanks and add what you want to. No, this is the way, he says. And he makes it very clear to his disciples. He said, you know the way. Proverbs chapter 16 tells us that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Mankind has been altering and messing up the gospel ever since it was written down. For 2,000 years, they've tried to change it into what would benefit them in this life and how they can deceive others. And Jesus Christ just told his disciples, you know the way. Thomas over there going, how do we know the way? You know the way. If you see me, you've seen the Father. And if you want to get to the Father, it's going to be by me. That's the way, point, point blank, period, full stop, nothing else, nothing more. I love the old poem that says, Once my heart was black as sin until the Savior came in. His precious blood I know has washed it white as the snow. And in this world I am told I'll walk the streets of gold. Oh, wonderful, wonderful day. He washed my sins away. That poem is based on Isaiah 53. Though our sins be as scarlet, he will make them white as snow. Through in his stripes, we are healed. One can never imagine the beauty of the free gift of salvation. But let me, let me reassure you tonight. Let me make sure you understand. With any gift, if you're going to enjoy it, if you're going to benefit from it, you have to receive it. A gift is not forced upon anyone. A gift is placed right here. And if you want to reap the benefits of that gift, you're going to have to open it up and you're going to have to receive it. One can never imagine the beauty of what Christ has done for us and the pure work that he performed, but it didn't stop there. Back in John 14, we are given some of the greatest truths. Now, I would say here in just a moment when I advance it, I've said for years, I would, I, would use, I would say this is probably one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. And I think I'm going to retract a couple of the words in the midst of that sentence and tell you tonight, I think this is the greatest promise out on the backside of salvation. In John 14, in verses 1 through 3, Jesus Christ opens up this chapter by saying this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, the beautiful part of this is Jesus is saying this prior to his death, burial, and resurrection, prior to all of that. He's laying the groundwork for the disciples. He's, he's laying the foundation for them to understand what's getting ready to transpire down the road down here. But we know the end of the story. We got the finished book. We know, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that if those who are saved and born again, we are sitting in heavenly places tonight in Christ Jesus. So wherever he is, we are. And you sit here and you go, wait a second, can we be two places at one time? Yep. Spiritually, we are in Christ and we are in heaven. Physically, we're down here on earth, sniffing and snorting and coughing and hacking. But one day that's going to end, amen. One day that's going to be over with. But it doesn't stop there. We've talked about pure worship. We've talked about a pure walk. We've spoken about pure wisdom. But there is a pure work that is performed by the Lord Jesus Christ in our life that we can reflect every single day. And beloved, I want you to understand that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can receive a rescue. You say, what does that mean? In verse 1, he says, you believe in God, believe also in me, yeah? Friend, let me ask you this question. What, what is the opening text? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Yep, that's what he says. We're all clear. How often do you sit and worry about things in your life that you have absolutely zero control over? See, that's the end of this question, not the middle part about sitting and worrying. How many times have you registered your bank account and what's going to be coming out of that bank account on the 15th or the 27th or the 21st or the 5th of the month with your council taxes, with your heating bill, your lighting bill, and are you going to have enough in there when it's coming out? How many times do we sit around and worry about things that are beyond our reach, beyond our control? How many times have we sat around today dreading going to work tomorrow? I remember when I was in grad school, I would drive down to a city in Indiana for church on Sunday. Big, huge, massive church, man, getting lost in the crowd. I didn't particularly like that, but nonetheless. And I go down to this church, and I remember about three or four weeks into school, and man, it was just slap manic. You know, you're up at, at dog early in the morning, and you were in clinic, and you're in classes all day long, and, and then you come home, you study for two hours, you eat a little meal, you study for an hour and a half, you go to the gym for an hour, come back, study another hour and a half, go to sleep, then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again, and it's just like a hamster wheel. And I remember just, you know, thinking, my soul, am I going to get through this? My granddad died on my birthday that year. And I went and sat down with one of my professors. I said, listen, they want me to be a pallbearer at my granddad's funeral. And he says, well, how many days do you need off? I said, well, probably at least, at least one or two. He goes, you could probably pull one off. You'll never catch up if you miss two. 
I called my mom up and I talked to her about it. She says, Granddad would understand. Yeah. I was in that church one Sunday, a couple weeks after Granddad passed away. I was up to here just with stress. Now, mind you, I don't mind a little stress. I kind of like a little stress, to be honest with you. I don't like that I like stress, but for some creepy, re- weird reason, it, I, it fuels me a little. That preacher got up there. I don't remember anything else he preached that day. But he says, you got to take a little bit of your week and put into your weekend. And then take a little of your weekend and put in your week. I said, what on earth does that mean? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a square guy. There's Monday through Friday. There's Saturday. There's Sunday. You're not taking days away. He says, what I mean by that is we work so hard Monday through Friday. And all we're doing is we're trying to get to Friday, trying to get. We are rushing, 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 working, 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 rushing, rushing, all the way to Friday. And then when we get to Friday, we want to put the brakes on. And we're holding back and pulling because we dread Monday. And before you know it, we miss the weekend. We don't enjoy the weekend. We don't even enjoy the week because we're trying to get through the week. We're trying to hold the weekend. He said, put a little week in your weekend, a little weekend in your week. That changed my life. I went, to, I went to class that next Monday morning with a smile on my face, whistling, singing songs. Poor people around me, I hate it for their ears, but I mean, life changed. You know why? Because my heart got a rescue. And some of us here tonight, we need a rescue. Your soul is saved. You made your decision. You've accepted Jesus Christ. Your eternity is sealed, but you're in the midst of something right now in your life, and you need a rescue inside your heart. And Jesus Christ says this, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, he says. Paul gives us a testimony of such a delivery. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, he says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in mine affirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, Paul says this, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. He says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because he'll rescue your heart when you need that time. He'll rescue that heart in those days of weakness. He'll rescue your heart in necessities, in reproaches, in persecutions, in distresses. He'll do so for Christ's sake. God will give you a rescue. That's a pure work he performs in our life. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for us. You just got to believe. If you want peace in this life, you're going to have to believe that his grace is sufficient. Too many people today try to carry the load themselves. First off, none of us are as strong as all of us. That's number one. Number two, the Lord's grace will carry the load for you. The Lord says, get in my yoke, didn't he? I'm paraphrasing, BJ version. 
Take you, his yoke was a yoke of kindness. He says, it's not heavy. He said, my burden's light. I'll give you another reason why your, your heart shouldn't be troubled tonight with the pure work that Christ performed. Number one, there's a rescue of your heart this evening. Number two, there is a residence that you get to look forward to. A residence. Verse 2 in our text in John 14 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's personal. It's yours. It's not someone else's. It's not borrowed. It's not rented. It is a house. It's a place. It's a mansion that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he left this earth, went to prepare for each and every soul that will come to know him as Savior. You can't see it today. I mean, let me ask you, what are you trusting today in your life to get you through every single day? You trusting your treasures tonight? Are you trusting your talent tonight to get you through, to get you that rescue? Are you trusting your time in this world? Lord's got a residence for us, guys. If we, if we live to be 95 or 100 years old on this earth, that is not but a grain of sand on the seashore of eternity. It compares and not. Jesus Christ said this. He said in Matthew 6, verse 20, he says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. We spend so much time in this world today trying to control things that are just going to perish and fall away when we should exert just as much energy, if not more, in things that are not in this world where the elements cannot touch, treasures in heaven. What makes you happy tonight? Where, where is your life this evening? Where is your peace? Where is your joy? Where is your excitement in the things that are around you? If they are in those things that, that you have brought forth, if they are in those treasures in that time, if they're in your talent, what's going to happen when they're gone? Again, Jesus Christ said this in Luke 10, verse 20. I love this verse. He said, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now keep in mind, I want to put into perspective this verse, and, and I'm not going to belabor the point here. We are, in the, we are in the church age, the age of grace. We have a completed work of God that Paul says, when that which is perfect is come. And by the time John wrote, his, uh, uh, wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos in the last uh, decade of the, of, of the first century, that which is perfect has come, the completed word of God. But in the days of Christ, in the Old Testament, in the days that Jesus Christ lived on this earth, in the time, even the transitional period of the new church, uh, after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and just for a wee bit of time, there were spiritual things that happened in the world that you could see physically with your eyes. People were casting out devils. The apostles cast out devils. That's only an apostolic sign. It's for the apostles. There are no more apostles in the world today. This ain't going on today. Listen, you better be careful placing your hands on someone going to cast out a devil. You better read Acts chapter 19 and find out what happened to seven sons of Sceva. 
When that devil looked back and says, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? And they jumped on top of them and they went out naked and, and wounded, the Bible says. Anyway, that's beside the point. He sent these disciples forward. Man, they come back going, touchdown, man. They come back hooping and hollering, saying, woohoo, man, we're casting devils out. These spirits are subject to us. We got the power to do this, power to do that. And you would think Jesus Christ give them a high five and celebrate with them. He says, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. That ain't important. That's things of this earth right here. But rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rather rejoice that your residence is a place that's prepared by the creator of all things, the savior of mankind. When you lay your head down at night, does your heart have an expectancy of seeing the Lord or an emergency of his appearance? And what is the difference? One is, oh Lord, I can't wait to see you. And the other is, oh Lord, I can't wait to see you. I told a story this morning about my mom and dad would go on holiday after I became a teenager. They'd leave me at home. And they'd go different places, four, five, six days a week. Yeah. And, uh, man, if I, if I kept that house clean, hey, mom and dad, glad you're back. Woohoo! You know, love that stuff. But if I didn't have it clean, if I had dishes piled up and dirty clothes over here and dirt on the floor and all, and you got to know my mama, man. She didn't, listen, she didn't keep a dirty house. I'd get a tongue lashes, as she would say, and in a broom, up my backside, if you will, went out if it was dirty. So when that house was dirty, it was unkept, and I'm there alone. I'm nervous when mom and dad's coming back. Man, when it's kept and ready and all the work's done, looking forward to them. That's the difference between an expectancy and an emergency. So lastly here tonight, the truth of the matter is going to be this. The truth of what we know and we understand in our life tonight, that there is a rescue for our hearts. There is a residence in heaven, but there is going to be a return. And you can lock this down. There is going to be a return of Jesus Christ. He says this. This is the greatest promise that we find. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Beloved, this is the greatest promise on the backside of salvation. Paul writes it down like this in his first letter. He writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He goes on to say that, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in, in, in the clouds, and forever we shall be with the Lord. In the final verse of that chapter, Paul says this, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The return of Jesus Christ to take his bride away into that residence tonight should rescue our hearts in the troubles of our life. We should look forward to it. And, and you wonder why so, people, so many people, they don't have joy in their life. They don't understand the pure work that Jesus Christ performed. That he's given us a promise. And guys, listen, we all go through the valley. And we, we all go through the mountaintop experience. Uh, what makes, the, uh, what makes the, the mountaintop so precious is those valley experiences. But I want you to rest assured, guys, when you... Face those troublous times, and you hit those tempestuous waters of life. 
understand that there's a rescue that you can have. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe God, believe also in me, Jesus said. Understand that he is preparing a place for you personally tonight. And once that place is finished, he's coming back. There's a return in the air to bring us home with him. That's a pure work of our Lord and Savior this evening. A pure work that we reflect and should reflect every single day. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for who and what you are. We pray now for your continual blessing, guidance, and grace. We ask of you this evening, Lord, to please take on board tonight in our hearts and minds. Please uh, employ what we've heard tonight. Comfort us, Lord, in our times. Give us guidance. Give us grace. I, I pray for traveling mercies, Lord, but I do pray tonight that not, and, and none of us here this evening leave untouched or unchanged. And Lord, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.